You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Well, for me, some of my favourite childhood memories revolved around spending time with my family on bushwalks. Has anyone ever had those memories growing up as a kid? A few of us? Yeah? Well, I can't for the life of me remember whether it was Wilson's Prom or the Grampians. I I can't remember me, but it doesn't really matter. But I had an experience while on a bushwalk that I will never, ever forget. Has anyone got one of those that they can think of right now? Yep, I'm sure we all do. My parents had taken my brother and I, I think I was maybe about 12 years old, my brother would have been 10, and we'd gone on this fairly lengthy walk because my parents were big believers in if you go on a bushwalk, you don't do one of those little kind of boardwalk things for a kilometre, you do a 20-kilometre bushwalk. That's a real bushwalk. So we, we, were, we were 12 and 10 and we were doing this bushwalk and I think by about halfway we'd, we'd stop for lunch and my brother was done. That was enough, 10Ks, I don't want to go see this summit, surely that can't be worth it. So him and mum went back to the car and there was also just a bit of that sense as you looked out and about that maybe some weather was on the way, maybe, maybe not, might come, might not. So they thought, we'll play it safe, we'll head back to the car, we'll go and seek some shelter. So anyway, my dad and I, stubborn, determined, we just pressed on. We, we went pretty fast, we were pushing on, pushing on, pushing on, all the way up to this summit. Wow, what an incredible view. Uh-oh, look at those clouds over there. We might be in trouble. And it was nasty. To say it was dark, I've, I've never seen clouds like it since, I think, other than being overseas in like um, Malaysia or something. It was like crazy, crazy dark. A big storm was coming and it was coming fast. So what do you do on a bushwalk? You do the safe thing. You run as fast as you can down from the summit to try and get beat the storm. And we were thinking maybe, maybe we could, maybe... 10Ks, you know, 10Ks, sort of half running, walking. We could make that before the storm hits. Anyone want to guess what happened? Yeah, no, we didn't make it. We didn't make it at all. We found ourselves out in the middle of the bush, completely exposed in parts with, you know, just the small shrubs around us, with lightning coming from all angles, thunder right overhead, and the gap between the two saying, it's pretty close to where we are right now. And it was scary. We were out in the middle of nowhere and the rain was kind of coming in sideways on our face and we had Gore-Tex jackets, so we were were dry, but it was a scary thing. We desperately needed shelter. We needed to find refuge from the storm. And as we rounded this corner at pace, because we're running back as quickly as we can, we round this corner and I see this big giant pile of rocks. And in this pile of rocks, there's like this little opening And when I say they're giant rocks, these are massive rocks. Probably maybe should have thought twice about going in here, but we went in there anyway. There's like this little cave formed with this giant rock over a couple of other giant ones. And so we ran into this cave and took shelter and kind of waited out the storm. It felt like an eternity. It was probably only 10 minutes or so. But seriously, it was an unreal storm, an unreal experience to be a part of. But it was great because when we got back to the car and I don't know what my brother was doing for all that time because this was the day before like Game Boys and things, you know, like 
nothing to do. What do you do without Instagram and TikTok and things like that nowadays? Anyway, so we, we got back to the car and we told them all about our experience and how this cave had provided a safe place, a refuge for us in the midst of the storm. And a few weeks ago, I was reading Psalm 16, and as I was reading it, this memory just came flooding back to me. In Psalm 16, it's a psalm of David. David talks of seeking refuge, not in a cave of sorts like we did, but in the safest place to seek refuge, not just in the one time, but in the continual sort of idea, and that is taking refuge in God. So today, what we're going to do is we're just going to work our way through Psalm 16 to discover what David declares to be so for ourselves. And this is it, that God is a safe refuge who will protect us now in this life and forevermore as we trust in him. Sound good? Let's pray as we open this psalm together. Um, And yeah, let's just invite Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts, wherever it is we're at, whatever storms in life we're facing right now, that God's truth would come and wash over us and bring us encouragement and hope and joy. Let's pray. Yeah, God, we thank you so much for the, the your blessing of your word. We thank you, God, that it is a light. It is a lamp. It is the very sure foundation on which we can base our very lives. And so, God, we pray that as your revealed word speaks to us, Holy Spirit, that you would bring it alive in our hearts, that you would that you would help it to take root in the places in our hearts where it needs to take root. Maybe where we're struggling with different burdens. Maybe where we're facing different storms in our own lives. Lord, help it to take root so that, God, it wouldn't just be uh, inspirational or something that we hear and go, oh, yeah, that's great for someone else. But, Lord, it would be applicable to us. And therefore, it would be transformative for us that this word today, this morning, would take root and take us further in following you, enjoying you, and worshipping you forever. So God, would you do that work? I can't do that work. Only you can do that work by your spirit. So would you do it? We humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read Psalm 16 together now. Here's what David writes. He writes, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? It's an absolute stunner. But then 
Of course it is, because it's God's word. But, you know, some, some Bibles title this psalm, You Will Not Abandon My Soul. And I think that's an apt little summary. Right from the opening words, David is making his intent clear. He's, saying, he's making a declaration, God, you are my refuge. You are my refuge, God. God is who he relies on for his well-being. He's sticking with God, his refuge, and he's crying out to him. He's, he's reaching out to him. Psalm 1 to 2, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God. I have no good apart from you. Jerome Creech is a professor of Old Testament at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary in the US. That'd be a good one to put on a business card, wouldn't it? Need an extra long one? Um, He unpacks what it means to take refuge in God. He says, The expression take refuge is a rich metaphor that draws on the image of hiding out for safety, as David did when pursued by Saul in 1 Samuel 24. To take refuge in the Lord essentially means to rely on God for safety and security. The expression, therefore, is related closely to declarations of trust. So David's essentially saying in these verses, he's saying, preserve me, Lord, care for me, Lord. I need you. You are my refuge. I'm not going to find security in any other thing or any other place. I'm sticking with you. You are my refuge. Apart from you, I have no good. Only you, Lord, are my source of life and goodness. I'm going nowhere else, no matter what. That's what David's saying. And then in verses 3 to 4, David contrasts the faithful, those who place their faith in God, with the faithless, those who don't. He writes, As for the saints, which is a saint is someone who follows God in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. David's declaring how his heart is aligned with, how he delights in the faithful. He, He gets joy out of knowing that there are others like him who are making this same choice, that there are others out there who are, no matter what, choosing to trust and follow God. And he reaffirms how he's, he's unwilling to compromise. He's not going to compromise. He's not going to run after another God like he sees others doing. And as he says, he's not going to share in their multiplying sorrows. I'm wondering, friends, today, do you share David's resolve? Is this your resolve? Is God your hideout, your place of refuge? Or do you seek refuge, security, Safety elsewhere, even in other gods, so to speak. Because, I mean, in our day and age, it's very easy, isn't it, to seek refuge in many other places other than God. There are so many gods that we can look to instead of, or, or even just before, getting the order wrong, looking to other things before our almighty Saviour God. The gods of, of self This idea in our postmodern world that we, herein lies all the answers for me. How's that gone for you? (laughs) Hasn't gone very well for me. The gods of others, you know, looking to other people for uh, wisdom or, or security or that kind of thing. 
or even transcendent, pleasurable experiences. We live in a world that is reading in the news today about this whole movement at the moment. Some of you might be aware of it, but home organisation and how there are many people making an income from putting together videos of their perfectly stocked pantries (laughs) and that's bringing them a sense of meaning and joy in life. And hey, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you couldn't find an element of joy and identity in that, but man, what happens when the kid comes along and just goes like this? That's when you cry, that's right. You realise that it's, it's not a, an ongoing, pleasurable experience. Or, you know, substances. We live in a, in a society, don't we? Um, Victoria is the, the cocaine capital of Australia. There's one for you. Um, we, we are in a society, in Australian society, we have binge drinking is just accepted. But we drink in excess all the time in Australia. That's just the reality of it. So many gods, so, so, so many gods, some of them not bad in and of themselves, but many of them not so good for us or for others. But one thing is clear. One thing is clear for David, it was true for him, and this is true for us as well. Ultimate satisfaction and ongoing uh, security are found in God and nowhere else. Ultimate satisfaction, ongoing security are found in God and God alone, not in any other gods. Only God actually satisfies the deepest desires of our hearts. And only God has not only the power, but also the heartfelt desire to bless those who honour him. Did you know that? Have you ever thought about that? So many other gods... Uh, don't, they, they promise a lot, but then they don't deliver a lot as well, do they? Whereas God promises an awful lot, and if we're faithful and follow him, he delivers on every single one of his promises. There's great fruit for those who honour God, this life and the next. You know, I love how David expresses the blessings he experiences from God's own hand. He says this in verse 5, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. We're singing about that this morning. David's just addressed the, the foolishness of following other gods and he's, he's, he's highlighting the blessings that are there for all who are wise and trust in the one true God. And scholars say that in, re- in referencing these particular words right here in the psalm, that David is actually referencing Numbers chapter 18 and verse 20. Now you'll say, what on earth is that? Well, it's a passage where God declared to the priests in the day of Moses when they were talking about the inheritance of the land, divvying up different lands for different tribes and everyone's going to get a share What did he say to the priests? Did the priests get a portion of land? No, they didn't. God said through Moses that he is their portion and inheritance. Numbers 18, 20. And the Lord said to Aaron, who was one of the priests, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. 
Now, here's the incredible thing. We see this with David. This is true as New Testament believers, but we see that he knew this as well. David rightly viewed these words as not only being true for the priests, those who served a certain function back in the Israelite days, but he also saw it to be applicable for anyone who trusts in God in his day and to our day today. As Alexander McLaren says, he says, every godly man or woman has the same possession and the same prohibitions as the priests had. Like them, he is landless. And instead of estates, who does he have? He has Jehovah, God, our provider. We're not guaranteed anything in this life, friends. Don't we know this to be true? We're not guaranteed anything. Our world says, you know, if you work hard and save all your life and put co-contributions into your super, one day when you're 65 you can retire and then it'll be smooth sailing. You can just sail off into the sunset. And then all of a sudden we get a cancer diagnosis and that all goes out the window. Like, really, guys, there's no guarantees in life, are there? We're not guaranteed anything for following God either. You know, sometimes people say, oh, follow God and then it'll just go easy for you. <laughs> Don't listen to them. <laughs> Jesus said, what did, he, what did Jesus himself say? He's, yeah, in this world you have tribulations. Follow me. All, all his parables talking about the cost of discipleship and actually following him. It's not easy. But... But if we follow and trust in God, follow him in this life, we'll we'll experience blessing throughout it all, through the good times, through the challenging times, through the just mundane moments of this life. Because there's some of those too, aren't there? Because we'll know God as our soul-satisfying portion. We will know him as our inheritance, as our greatest treasure, the greatest prize we could ever take hold of and enjoy. Now, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where any of you are at today in this life. Maybe you're watching online with us. You're dealing with some really significant things right now in life. I don't know what you, what's going on for you, but I do know that satisfaction and ongoing security is found in God and nowhere else. Satisfaction and ongoing security is found in God and nowhere else else. Only he satisfies and God will bless those who are satisfied in him. Trust him and he will be your portion and inheritance. That's a guarantee. Then we see in verses 7 and 8 that David, David expresses how all of this, all of this, knowing and enjoying God as our refuge experiencing the blessing of actually being known by God and knowing him, being satisfied with God as a portion and inheritance, he explains how this actually works out in day-to-day life. Verse 7 and 8, he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Do you see that? You know, in, a, in a, like a little summary, I guess, for me, it's like right trusting leads to right living, doesn't it? If we trust in 
the God who cares passionately for each and every one of us, no matter where we are right now, no matter our past, no matter what might happen in the future, his love is unchanging towards us. If we trust in him, that will inevitably lead to right living because we're with him, he's rubbing off on us, he's working through us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We will live the kind of life we've been designed to live. And so what does David do in response? He blesses the Lord. That's, that's, his, that's his heart response. He blesses the Lord, the one who gives him counsel. Unlike the false gods of David's time, and really, unlike the false gods of our time too, God instructs in wisdom. We can get a lot of other ideas, concepts, things that might give us fleeting moments of transcendent experiences and awe and, you know. But in the end, God's wisdom can be trusted. And then David, David trusts and acts in light of God's counsel. But not only that, David chooses to bless the Lord, yes, but he's also active in putting God first. You see that in that passage there. What's verse 8 say? I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. You know, there's, there's genuine action on David's part. He's not just passively sitting back, you know, sitting back in his deck chair waiting, I wonder what life's going to throw my way now. Because we, sometimes we can get a bit like that, can't we? We can get a little bit... Maybe, maybe, maybe life's been really tough for us and we're like, man, I'm just done. I'm just going to see what comes my way now. I, I'm done. But what does David encourage us to do? He says, no, 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 no. Set the Lord before you. No matter what, set the Lord before you because he's at your right hand. You will not be shaken. No matter what comes, no matter what storm, no matter what health diagnosis, no matter what relational problem, no matter what this crazy world's going to do and banking crises and GFC times 0.2 and whatever else, whatever all of that, set the Lord before you. He is at your right hand and you will not be shaken. David Gusick, he explains this really well. He says, I have set the Lord always before me, speaks of a decision David made to put God first in his life. He determined that God would always be his focus, his perspective. There was a standing and security in David's life that would not have otherwise existed. Do you have that standing and security in your life right now? As God, is God that refuge? that safe place for you. And because you only need to read on in this, in this beautiful psalm to see the effects of this trusting, to see the effects of what sticking with God as his refuge actually does for David and can go for us too. Verse 9, he says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. This is it. You can tell David's experiencing this. This is not just an abstract thought. He's saying, this is my lot. This is my reality. This is what I'm experiencing because the Lord is always before me, because I'm trusting in him, because you are my refuge and strength. And let's just remember this for a moment. Maybe some of you have never heard of David before. David 
was an Old Testament king. He was one of the kings of Israel. And to say that he had a tough lot in life would be an understatement. If there's anyone who, who's qualified to have a whinge and a moan and to say, you know what, life's just too hard, throw in the towel, it's not worth it, it'd be David. David, you know, he was pursued and persecuted by Saul, King Saul, at a time. And all he was trying to do was, was bless and honour Saul, but Saul was out to get him and take him out. He was forced out into the wilderness. He did have a place of comfort and security in his part of the castle. And then he had to go and fend for himself out in the wilderness, being pursued on all sides. He faced plenty of challenges and hardships, and he faced troubles of many, many kinds. And yet, this is still his lived reality. This is still his reality. He knew and enjoyed God as his refuge, his safe place, his very source of security and contentment, his portion, his inheritance. And as one writer says, when we, when we put this in context and go back to the very first verse, we remember that this life of gladness and rejoicing and fullness of joy is not a problem-free life. It is a life that may be challenged and face attacks on many levels. Yet, in that, a life commitment to God has been made and is enjoyed. It is a secure, happy, blessed life. Is this your experience, friends? Is this your experience of day-to-day in this life? Do you, despite the many challenges, the many hardships, the many struggles that you face, do you enjoy a secure, happy and blessed life in relationship with God because you've trusted and then continually trust in him? Here's what I also love about this psalm. David doesn't only speak in the the here and now, in his own experience, and that encourages us for when we're going through things, how we can maybe get some wisdom in how we approach things we're currently facing. But he also encourages us to look forward to the not yet, to the future, to what's to come. Reading verses 10 to 11, he says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, for some of us, if we've been a Christian for a little while, we might even hear those words and immediately think, Jesus, Jesus, one day we'll be there. We will we'll be in his presence in fullness of joy. At his right hand, we'll be enjoying pleasures forevermore in eternity with God. And in the New Testament book of Acts, in Acts 2, 25 to 28, Peter actually cites this psalm. He cites these very verses and applies these words to the resurrection of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul shares a very similar application in, in Acts chapter 13. Now, obviously these links are very true. They are true. And they're good for us as modern-day followers of Jesus, many of us here, with, with the benefit of having all of God's word, not just God's word at the time for Israel, which was, of course, um, part of the Old Testament. And for, it's good for us who know that the Messiah has already come to earth 
But I don't know, it got me thinking, well, how would these words have spoken to Israelites and encouraged them in their day while they're still waiting for the Messiah to come? Because like most of the Psalms, they weren't just designed like we often do to, to be read and maybe meditate on them. Maybe some of you read through a Psalm of the morning as you try to tune in to God and pray for your day. Um, but they're actually written to be sung. They're songs. They're, they were designed and, and they were learnt, they were memorised by Israelites back in the day and Jews to this day through actually singing them. That's how a lot of scripture was memorised. Would they just kind of scratch their head as they read this passage and go, I was, I was with you up until this point and now I have no idea what you're talking about? Or would there have been another point that David would have been making that, would, that they would have grasped and been really encouraged by? And if there was that point, is it one that can encourage us too as we face challenges and hardships in our own life? Well, my ESV study Bible explains it better than I can. It says, This puzzlement goes away if the psalm is seen as cultivating the hope of everlasting glory for the faithful. With the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy One par excellence, without compare, as the first step in bringing this hope to fruition. So do you get this? In other words, David's words, unbeknown to him and his original readers, were definitely pointing forward to Jesus. They were talking about the Messiah. But more generally, they were talking about everlasting hope for those who follow and love God. That's what they were talking about. Everlasting glory for those who remain faithful to God. So David's words reminded the Israelites of their incredible inheritance as they've sought God, their refuge. Like David, they have the Lord as their teacher. In verse 7, you can look at it. Like David, nobody could move them from what they believed. Verse 8. Like David, no matter what they faced in life, they would, they would always be able to find a sense of safety and even in the midst of suffering, joy. Verse 9. Like David, they wouldn't go down to, to Sheol. And that word Sheol is referring to a place reserved for wicked people when they die. They wouldn't be separated from God for eternity. Like David, they could be sure that they'd live with the Lord now and forever, one day when they move on from this life, verse 10. And so this is what David was rejoicing in wholeheartedly. This is why, this is why David ends his psalm in the way he did. And this is why we can rejoice wholeheartedly too. No wonder he closes out with these words, verse 11. You, God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. He is a safe and secure refuge. And his goodness doesn't just stop in this life, in the little bite-sized chunks that we might taste and enjoy from time to time. No, no, no. God's goodness and blessings extend to the next as well, and they will be realised in fullness when we're in there as well. Praise the Lord. You know, this is true for us today as well, and it's, it's made all the sweeter as we consider the work of Jesus, the work that he did to make this gift 
of eternal life spent in relationship with God, to, to be able to have God as our refuge possible. I just want to read how Peter unpacks these final verses of Psalm 16 in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 36. And this is, this is an excerpt, or this is um, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, arguably the greatest sermon ever delivered, I reckon it is. Verse 22, here's what Peter says. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the def definitive plan and definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says, here it is, for David says concerning him, Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seen and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Friends, this is the link for us, or one of the many links for us, with David's Psalm 16. Jesus is who we all have to thank today. Jesus was delivered up. He was, he was handed over to the authorities he died, and yet he was raised by God to life. Death could not hold him, as it said. Unlike David, who, who died and stayed dead. It's a reality. David died, was buried, and he stayed in this tomb. Jesus didn't. He was not abandoned to, to Hades, another, another term for that place reserved for those who don't want to love and follow God. He as the ultimate Holy One, did not see corruption, not even for one split millisecond, not even for a moment. And Jesus was raised up by God, was exalted at the right hand of God, and he continues to reign to this day as Lord and Christ. And this Lord and Christ can be. He is, for those of us who followed him, or maybe for those of us here or watching online who are on a 
on a spiritual journey of, of discovering what, what does it look like? What is my purpose in life? What, is there a God? Does he care for me? Is there room for me in God's family? Jesus is or can be your refuge now and forevermore. And the question that all of us need to, to wrestle with is this. Is he? Is Jesus? Is Jesus my refuge? If you're following him today, you know, if, you're, if you call yourself a Christian today, do you, do you regularly run to him? Or was, you know, we had a, like an image of cobwebs across, across this rocky outcrop where I took refuge, you know? Or is it like, well, yeah, but back in 1954 I took refuge in, in here or back in 67 or, you know what I mean? Like, is, is Jesus, is our refuge covered with cobwebs? Or is, is there a ready, beautifully paved path because we use it so much and we just keep running back to Jesus, running back to him? Is Jesus where we find safety, peace, security, joy? Or do we look for all those things in someone or somewhere else? And if you're not yet following Jesus today, if you haven't yet chosen to turn to, to Jesus and embrace him as your Lord, your Saviour, will you do that today? Will you choose today to accept Jesus' free gift for you, gift of forgiveness, the gift that he paid for on the cross as we reflected on before? And will you accept him and allow him to be a genuine, true refuge for you? And here's the reality. If you place your faith in him in this life, not only will you lead a blessed life, doesn't mean happy all the time, doesn't mean you'll always have a smooth sailing, but you'll have Jesus and your life will be better for it. Not only will you have a great life in this life to the very end of your days, but you'll also be assured of what is to come, that you will have that as your inheritance, that one day when Jesus returns to renew the heavens and the earth, one day when you go to be where God is, that you will be there and you'll be welcomed there with open arms. Jesus is a safe refuge. Will you turn to him for the first time or afresh today? The choice is ours. I think David would encourage us with a big, just do it. Go there. Get there. You won't be disappointed. Let's pray. Yeah, loving God, we thank you so much for the blessing of you, for all the incredible ways that you shower us with, with blessings. Lord, we thank you that this word is an insight into one man's experience, but it is far more than that. It is an insight into how this man David experienced you. He knew you personally. He knew that you were a tower of refuge. He knew that you were a safe refuge, someone he could completely rely upon no matter what. And so we thank you for that, God. Thank you for the way that, that you inspired him to write this psalm, to not only articulate his heart and encourage others of, around his times, but, Lord, also to go on to encourage generation after generations of believers all over this fine world of yours. And God, we pray too that 
we, as those of us with the benefit of having had Jesus already come as believers, as followers of God now, that we can see that this is also clearly pointing to you, Jesus, and the reality that you are the sure hope for everyone in this world, that you are the greatest place and person in, in which any one of us could ever seek refuge. So God, I just pray that whether we have been a follower of you for many, many years, whether we have been following you in the past but haven't for a while for whatever reason and we're just wanting to run back to you as our refuge, God, we pray that you would guide us to do that. And Lord, I pray for anyone who might just be on a journey of spiritual truth, seeking what it is that would bring meaning and and purpose and even identity, a sense of identity and belonging in this life for them. I pray, God, that they would turn to you today and recognise that not only uh, um, do you provide refuge, but you long to see people find refuge and hope in you. God, would that ring true in people's hearts? Holy Spirit, would you do that work in each of our hearts? Because, God, you are a refuge who can be trusted. And, Lord, you serve as our refuge in this life, but also will forevermore in the one to come. And for that, God, we just want to give you glory. We just want to say thank you. And we give you all the praise. We exalt your name, Jesus, for you are worthy. Thank you for being our refuge. May we all turn to you today. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Everyone said? Amen. Amen.